0: So please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, just so much for this opportunity to study. We thank you for this opportunity that we can just worship you thank you for this opportunity to fellowship with one another. We just thank you, Lord, that you've given us your word, Lord, your divine word, Lord, that we can just dig deep into, Lord, and just learn more about you. So, Lord, I just pray as we're studying here and Peter is preaching, Lord, as we are seeing an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Lord, and he's filled with that Holy Spirit, Lord. That's what I pray for for today, Lord, that we would be just filled with your spirit, Lord, that we would... Lord, through your Holy Spirit, Lord, your word would just speak deep to us, Lord. That they would give us the encouragement that we're looking for. It would give us the assurance, maybe, that we're looking for. It would give us the conviction that maybe we need. Or, Lord, it would just, again, just reinstate that love and that mercy and that maybe even that sovereignty that you have for us in this crazy world that we're living through right now. So, Lord, I just pray for that. I just pray for your Holy Spirit just to come upon this place and this country, Lord. And just remind people, Lord, of who you are inside of this situation, Lord. So, Lord, I just praise you and I thank you so much, Lord. And, Lord, just please just watch over us today, Lord, and bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen. As we get going, I actually, maybe a little different, I don't know. I want to start with, a. as I was studying, I want to start with a quote because it kind of tells a little bit about the message that I'll be preaching, but it really gives a quote so much about, I think, of the world that we're living in today, right? There's just so many difficult things kind of going on. So I want to read a quote uh, to start this message. It's by Chuck Smith. He says, One of the greatest needs in the church today is the witness of lame men who are standing whole. Spiritually speaking, I think what has caused so many people to be drawn to Calvary Chapel is that in our midst, God has made so many lame people whole, people whom... The world had written off people who had made er, utter disasters of their lives. But God has made them whole and sent them out ministering. It's hard to speak against that. What objection can you give? You must rejoice over what God has done. As I read this, I just, we're going to get into this story of this lame, you know, as we talked about it last week and this week and we're, we're talking about the, the layman that Peter had healed at the gate, beautiful gate. And I think this is just a great thing because I think that so often we don't see the analogy. And I talked about it last week about these people, this man, us, really just being restored and that being our testimony out there. That people would, we would bear witness to the work that God has done to us and how he's restored us. Now, I don't know how many of you are joining us from last week or how many listened to the message last week. But as usual, I asked you a question. I don't know how many of you remembered some of the questions I asked. Who remembers... What I taught on last week. It's kind of a test, I guess. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and open them up. You're going to need your Bibles. We're gonna Right now we're going to open up to Acts 3, but we're really going to be in Acts chapter 4. Think about that question. What did I ask last week? We're going to get into that. So if you're in Acts chapter 3, remember we were in that last section of Acts chapter 3. And actually, yeah, I did the whole section of Acts chapter 3. So we read in there about this miracle that had taken place. We read that there was a man... Who was lame from birth and we know that he was a beggar right and he would sit outside the temple and he would beg for money But then we, as we read that story in Acts chapter 3 we saw that He was healed he was healed in the name of jesus And it peter it was peter that spoke this blessing upon this man Then when he was restored he stood up we read this and then the three of them together they walked into the temple Then they praised God and the lame man was praising God for being healed. Now remember what happened, right? This man's healing had caused quite a stir among the people because these people, they knew this man. They knew he was lame from birth and here he was walking around praising the Lord. They knew that something, something amazing had happened to restore this man. To heal his legs and his feet to allow him to walk and leap and praise the lord as he was within the temple So we know we remember many people They'd gathered around and they were gathered in amazement looking at this man and seeing what had transpired what had taken place And we remember though that it was very clear from the man and from peter that this miracle was done in the name of jesus And I think as we saw it last week this cost many caused many people maybe to question right? Like, I hope it would happen today when you see a person that is restored, right, from a hopeless life to a life full of hope, that it caused them to question the name of Jesus, causing maybe the Jewish people questioning, is Jesus the Messiah? Maybe some of you, is Jesus God? Is Jesus alive? Is all that these disciples and all the Bible has been teaching, is it really true? That's what's happened because of this Lame man. Maybe some are asking, can I also be saved? Look at this lame man. The change that took place in this lame man's life brought others to faith in Jesus. That's the question I asked last week. Has the change that's taken place of you as a result of being saved... Does it bring others to faith in Jesus? Do they see a difference and ask, what is so different? Why does this person have hope in their life? Why does this person have abundant joy and love? I want that. What is difference in their life? And you can tell them it's Jesus. Has the change that Jesus has done in your life brought those around you to faith? I'd like to read a passage. Keep your finger right there at Acts chapter 4. We're going to be there in just a minute. But for now, turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to look at verse... 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. Has this new life that's begun in you, do people notice it? Do they see a difference or do they seem the same person they've always known? Has God transformed you in such a way that just as this story that we read in Acts chapter 3 Last week, the people look upon you as they looked at the lame man and see something miraculous that's taken place. Or do they see the same old man? Or do they see a new creation? Changing you from a person without hope to a person that is full of hope and love. That's what they should see. We read last week how Peter saw, he saw these people's reaction to this lame man, this miracle of what has taken place, right? Right? This miracle, of this man being healed. Then we read that Peter, he had to share with them, right? He had to share with them. He shared with all these people in the temple courts. He shared it was Jesus. It was Jesus who has restored this man. And Peter preached. He preached Jesus. That's what he preached. He didn't preach something else. He preached in Jesus and in the name of Jesus. He preached the good news. He preached the hope of eternal life. He teaches again. It was Jesus that performed this miracle. It wasn't Peter. It wasn't John. It wasn't something else. It was Jesus. And he wants Jesus in the end of that chapter three. Remember, he said he wants to bless you all. That's how he closed up that. The gift of having one's sins forgiven and having eternal life and being restored is available to anyone. Anyone that will repent and put their faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That's the blessing that he's offering. Now, today. We're going to pick up the story in Acts chapter 4. Make sure you get your Bibles open because Peter is, he's still preaching. He's still continuing to share about that gift that Jesus would have for us all. So if you got your Bibles, open them up to Acts chapter 4. We're going to look at the first four verses to start. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priest, the captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus... There is a resurrection of the dead. They arrested them since it was already evening, put them in jail until morning. But many of the people who heard the message believed it. So the number of men who believed now totaled about 5,000. Wow. We looking at these passages, we see three different groups, right? What do you see? I see the priest, the captain of the temple guard and some of the Sadducees. They were all these groups right? They're kind of connected. They're all part of the Jewish leadership, right? And president of the temple, but they were all except with upset with Peter and John and what they were teaching. Apparently the gospel of Jesus Christ in which they were te- teaching was offensive to them, just as it's offensive to the world today, right? Nothing's changed. This message of resurrection of the dead, it was especially upsetting to the Sadducees because they didn't believe in it, right? They didn't believe in the supernatural, right? And, As these disciples were teaching, their teaching of the resurrection of the dead went directly against their core doctrine or their core beliefs, these Sadducees. This caused them, as we see it, caused these religious leaders to become annoyed or irritated or disturbed. I thought about their reaction. It came to my mind, I mean, think about this right? If you're a religious leader and you have these core beliefs, right? And some guy comes into your temple, your church, and starts teaching contrary to what you believe, right? I'd be upset. You know, I thought about it. I thought, what, what if the tables were turned? You know, what if I was in their position? Maybe it would be like two Jehovah witnesses or two Mormons coming into the church, right? Coming into our church, right? Standing out there and preaching that Jesus is not God. That'd be upsetting to me. I'd be more than disturbed and more than irritated, right? So that's kind of what, you know, even though these Sadducees were wrong, that's kind of what's taking place. These disciples are coming and teaching directly against the doctrine of these Sadducees. I, you know, I wouldn't let them continue to teach, right? I would never allow someone to walk into these doors and teach to others a heresy like this, that Jesus isn't God. But anyways, we, we know the Sadducees were wrong, right? Because there is a resurrection of the dead. We know this. And our hope, that's our hope, each one of us, right? That one day, each of us, each of us that is a believer in Jesus will be resurrected, just as Jesus was, right? And then we will have everlasting life with Jesus in heaven. Keep your mark there in Acts chapter 4. Let's turn over just a little bit. Let's go to Acts chapter 17. I want to read about this just for a minute. Acts chapter 17. Let's look at verses uh, 30 through 31. Everybody there? God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times. But now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed and prove to everyone who he is by raising him from the dead. You know, it's very clear there. There is a resurrection. But let's turn to another spot. Let's look to Revelation. Turn to Revelation chapter 20. Verses. We're going to look at verses 5 and 6. Anybody there? This is the first resurrection. The rest of the dead did not come back to life until the thousand years had ended. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. For them, the second death holds no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. The Bible is clear. There is a resurrection of the dead. This is the promise that we've all received through our faith in Jesus Christ, right? This is the one, Jesus, who was raised by God three days later to his glory. Jesus, he defeated sin, right? He defeated sin in his death. And then he joins in, we can join with Jesus in that resurrection, right? Through our faith in him. You know, before we move on in Acts, you can turn back to Acts if you've got a chance. I have uh, another thought as I look at the first kind of four verses there. You know, as these disciples were teaching, right, they were sharing about the hope that they and we have in Jesus, right? But then all of a sudden, right, these Jewish leaders, they come out and they arrested them, right? So as they were sharing, they had this witness of a miracle, they're sharing in the temple, then these leaders come in there and they arrest these two right away, right? All of a sudden. And I thought about this, what, could you imagine that happening today? Maybe you're sitting in your homes or in your church and you're studying your Bible, or you're teaching, and maybe if you're in church, say as a preacher is sharing, all of a sudden the doors break open, right? And these local community or government leaders, they come in, right? Right in the middle of the sermon, right in front of everyone present, right? And they come in because you're sharing Jesus and you were told not to. That's why they're coming in. Could you imagine this taking place today? What means you think about this? You think, maybe I don't, I don't really think that would happen today, right? Maybe the authorities coming into a church and breaking in and saying, we told you not to preach, right? Can you imagine? That's what happened to Peter and John, right? As we're going to go further. Think about that today. By what? I don't care where you're at in the world right now. Think about this. By what authority would a leader come into a church and justify stopping the sharing of Jesus? How would that take place today? Anywhere in the world? What would... what? What excuse would they give to arrest the pastor or the people of the church for meeting and fellowshipping? What excuse would they use? I can come up with one. I want you to think about that, though, as we I'm going to share the answer that I come up with. But I want you to think about that as we continue. Let's look at verses five through seven in Acts chapter four. The next day, the council of all the rulers and elders and teachers of religious law met in Jerusalem. And Ananias, the high priest, was there, along with Cleopas, John, Alexander, and other relatives of the high priest, they brought in the two disciples and demanded, "By what power or in what name have you done this?" So now, after a night in jail, I don't know how many of you have been to jail. Maybe you can give me a thumbs up if you've been to jail, or a thumbs down if you haven't been to jail. I don't know. But th- now these guys, they've been into jail all night, right? I'm. I don't think they probably slept very well. I'm guessing. Now in the morning they're brought before the leaders, right? This was a, uh, quite, quite an intimidating group I'm sure these disciples would face. It would seem that all these different leaders as we looked before, there were several different groups of leaders, right? It wasn't just one particular group. They were against the disciples preaching in the name of Jesus, right? According to the scripture, if you look, we could turn back, um, we're not gonna turn right now, but in Deuteronomy chapter 13, the first five verses, under the Jewish law, These religious leaders actually, they had the right or they were justified right to question the disciples. By what name are you doing this? They had the means to do this under their law. And so them questioning the disciples wasn't necessarily wrong. By what name do you perform this miracle? By what name are you preaching this resurrection? The problem was that these religious leaders, they weren't really seeking the truth, were they? They weren't really seeking to know who Jesus was or by what name this miracle was performed or by what name this resurrection would take place. But in fact, all they were really doing is trying to save themselves and save their own position in their religious authority. Now, we've talked about the leaders here and talked about how the reason they're doing this is really self-seeking, right? What about the disciples? Think about this. They've been in jail all night. We just talked about it, right? I'm sure as they're standing there, right, after not having much sleep, standing before these religious leaders. They're kind of on a trial, in a sense, right? What would you think of if you were one of these Peter and John? What would flash in your mind? I would be maybe, what about John the Baptist, right? What happened to him? Maybe they, what about Jesus and his crucifixion? Is that what they would be thinking about it? You think as they're getting interrogated by these religious leaders, this would have been extremely intimidating. Do you think... These disciples, Peter and John, would be justified in being fearful. What about today? If you're being persecuted for your faith, is being fearful justified at some times? What do you think? Is it okay to have fear because of what's happening in the world around you? What's taking place around you? What about this COVID? Is it okay? Is it okay to have fear of this? Think about again at these two disciples. Where were they exactly? They were standing before all these religious leaders, right? What were they facing? They're facing a trial. Were they full of fear? Think about this. They were likely standing very possibly in the exact same spot in front of the exact same leaders facing almost nearly the same charges as Jesus did. Think about that. This was the place where they found Jesus guilty. This led to his crucifixion. And now Peter and John are standing there in that exact same spot before the very same leaders, not just the same group, the same leaders. What are they going to do? What do you think? You think they'd be have fear? Let's see. Let's look. Let's read on. Let's look at eight through twelve. Let's see what Peter and John are going to say to these leaders as they're interrogated in them. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, "Rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for this crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed." by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene the man you crucified but whom God raised from the dead for Jesus is the one referred to the scriptures where it says the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone there is salvation in no one else god has given no other name under the heaven which we must be saved i love how this section of verses starts starts off what do you see the first thing i see again Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, we see this This feeling of the Holy Spirit is a, it's a continual act in order to equip Peter and all believers to go out and share and so that God can be glorified. I was reading one commentary by Warren Worsby. He says, There is one baptism of the Spirit. This is at conversion. But there must be many feelings of the Spirit if the believer is to be effective witness for Jesus Christ. Again, we know and we see that Peter he's he's in this situation, right? And I, I put in my notes he, he capitalized on this opportunity, right? He had this audience, right, of religious leaders, right? They this situation has presented to himself that Peter now, through the filling of the Holy Spirit, he's gonna preach Jesus. These leaders they asked, right? Look at verse seven, what did they ask? By what power or in what name have you done this? Peter's like, Oh yeah. I'm going to tell you all about Jesus, right? It's just amazing that they have initiated this conversation, right? And asking Peter, by what name? By what name have you become a hope-filled person? By what name have you come become a person that's full of love and grace and mercy, you know? I just love it when we have opportunities like this, when people come to us and ask, you know, who is Jesus? Or why... You seem happy all the time, or you seem satisfied, or you, you seem like you're full of hope, or you're not, you're not scared of coronavirus. Why is that? You're not scared of dying? What's wrong with you? Oh, let me tell you about Jesus, right? What an opportunity that when someone else will initiate a conversation that allows any of us to share to them the hope that we have in Jesus. These leaders, they weren't just initiating it. They were demanding Peter and John explained by what power or in whose name, how have you done this? How exciting. You know, we must, we must always be ready, right? Ready to share our faith because you never ever know when an opportunity will come up, right? Because just as Peter was filled with the Holy spirit and had this opportunity to share, the same can happen to us, right? We can get this opportunity and we can be filled with the Holy Spirit just as the disciples and share our faith in Jesus. I had such an opportunity this very week. You know, as I, as I was studying in my office for the sermon, actually, my phone rang. And when I answered the phone, they were speaking Burmese, and I don't speak Burmese just at all. So I said, oh, excuse me, you know, can, can any English? And then, the most beautiful British accent poured into my ears to the phone. It's just amazing when they, I love the sound of this, that proper British English. And it was actually spoken through an older woman. You could tell and it's just beautiful when they say it. Right. And as beautiful as this voice was, she was speaking this perfect older British English to me. I was like, wow, hi, you know, but what she said next, unfortunately it just turned my stomach. Right. And you're like, well, what could she have said? You know what she said? She says, hello, I'm a Jehovah's witness. She was calling me on the phone to evangelize here in Myanmar. Now, as soon as she said that, I'm like, oh, I should have. This is what I should have done, not what I did. I should have prayed. I mean, very quick, right? Like half second. Lord, I need your help. How can I speak to this woman? What should I say to this woman? I need your Holy Spirit. I need to be filled with your Holy Spirit, just as Peter was, right? When these guys asked him, right? I need to be equipped To share with this woman Jesus. Because she's lost. She doesn't know Jesus. But I'm going to tell you. I will admit. It's not what I did. Instead. I don't know why. I've repented of it. But instead of praying to the Lord. To have that filling of the Holy Spirit. To speak to this woman in love. Right? To speak truth. But to speak it in love. Instead I used my Bible knowledge. Right? And to come against this false religion. This cult. And I assaulted her beliefs in this cult. I ended our, our conversation as it went on. I ended it basically with explaining to her that there is a hell because Jehovah witnesses don't believe in hell. I explained to her, yes, there is a hell and I am going to heaven and you are not. You are going to hell. And uh, she wasn't very happy with me. I, it was truthful what I said, right? It was very truthful, right? Right. But I'm going to tell you, it wasn't done in love. It wasn't done by the leading of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't wasn't done in this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It was more like I puked all of my frustrations of lockdown for eight months on this lady. I was like, she just opened the door for me, and I was like, oh, here we go, not good, right? Um, the Holy Spirit immediately just convicted me of what I had just done, right? I had spoken truth, but completely in an unloving manner. A few minutes, so she hung up. We said it well and a few minutes later i got a text from her so i this is after i hung up and i'm like convicted by the holy spirit i'm like i did not go about that right then i get my i see it and it's her it's from jw.org even and she texted me this long text and she in this text says i would like to talk to you some more about the things that you mentioned to me okay and she said even though see if i can do my british accent She typed this, but still, I I can imagine her saying this, even though our conversation was most unpleasant. Did I do that right? My British accent? No, they say it wasn't very good. Even though our, our conversation was most unpleasant, I'd like to talk to you some more. So please pray for me, as I do still have an opportunity out there to respond to her and to talk to her about who Jesus Christ truly is, right? But I need to talk to her in a way and communicate with her that would glorify the Lord. Right. I don't need to Not the way I did it before. Anyways, example of how not to witness to someone when you uh, do that. We need to do it in love. We need to do it through that feeling of the Holy Spirit. We do need to speak truth. I won't deny that. We absolutely need to speak the truth. But there's a way to do that, that God can equip us to do it in a way instead of just blah. So anyways, let's get back to this verses. Look at um, Peter as he responds to their question. Look at verse eight. Right again filled with the holy spirit. This is what we need to do this again. Look read it again Then peter filled with the holy spirit said to them That's what there's a big lesson in that for all of us, right? Any situation we run into we can Filled with the holy spirit not myself my pride my anger my frustration Um, whatever i've been dealing with for this time filled with the holy spirit This is how we need to speak to you again as peter starts here. You can look at it. He he begins with a question, right? The question of the leaders, so why do you ask? Why do you ask these questions? Do you want to know truly why this man was restored? I mean, and this is what he's basically saying, my my idea of it. Or do you ask for a different reason? Are they asking how a person or a crippled man could be healed? Or are they asking how once a person that was Bound by their sins right a slave to their sins can now have the chains broken and be freed by their sins Is that what they were asking? Because if that's what they were asking, which I don't think that's what they were The answer is faith in jesus, right and peter makes sure that they understood and they knew exactly how Who and by what name and what power that this miracle had been performed all of it It was all done in the name of jesus And peter continues right just to make sure there's no misunderstandings. He says just so you know It's jesus christ of nazareth. It's the jesus who you crucified It's the same jesus who's prophesied in the scriptures again It's the same jesus that you rejected It's the jesus which eternal salvation is offered through faith in him No misconceptions right of who this jesus was peter clarifies to everyone who this jesus is But Peter has very one very, very important fact. Look at verse 12. This is an awesome verse. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Peter clarifies it. Jesus is the only way. You know, as we read this and see what Peter and John are facing, could you imagine, as I talked about earlier, you know, the authorities coming into a church and arresting you, Right. Looking for an explanation of what you're doing. Could you imagine this taking place to you? It could happen today for sh- arrested for sharing Jesus. What would you do? Are you worried about that? Do you have fear of being arrested for fellowshipping with other believers? What would you do? Jesus is taking care of this for us. I'd like to just turn back to your Bible to Luke, because I think this is important, especially in our times today. Luke chapter 12. Look at verses 11 and 12. And when you are brought to trial in the synagogues and before the rulers and authorities. Don't worry about how to defend yourself or what to say for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time. What needs to be said. Isn't that amazing? That's exactly what's happening here in Acts chapter four. It was apparent. It's apparent to even this, this, even to the leaders, right? These religious leaders that nothing was going to intimidate these disciples. They didn't have fear. They had the power of God. Even they'd been arrested, right? They spent a night in jail. They're standing in the very same spot that Jesus, right, had been. But this boldness, the boldness that they had in preaching Jesus, it was just undeniable. It was even, it was beyond, beyond a worldly understanding that these religious leaders could understand. I pray that every, this kind of boldness that is talking about here, this kind of um, just, on fire for the lord would be something that all of us could experience right it's something that could be said about all of us right we would go out as peter and john even facing jail facing the authorities facing death but they still went with a boldness because they were full of the holy spirit i mean how awesome would this be if a group of unbelievers would see this kind of boldness then you have a chance to share the gospel with them you know I think the wonderful part is, is it says in here is that we know, and these religious leaders, they looked at Paul, I'm sorry, (laughs) Paul, Peter, and they looked at John, and they knew that these guys, they weren't anything special, right? They knew it. They could see that in them. They were just normal people. They didn't have a PhD in front of their name. It didn't say PhD, Reverend, so-and-so, right? They didn't have ministry cards that, you know, told them about their education, Um, the fact was they were empowered by God, by the Holy spirit. This is, as I think about this, I think this could be the greatest compliment and it should be for any preacher or anyone teaching at all that they could ever get that someone would say and come to you and say, I know that message you delivered today that you taught on the passages. That was, that message was from God. The Holy spirit used that message and it really spoke to me because I know you and that teaching, it was just beyond you. It was God. It was the Holy Spirit that taught that message, right? I mean, that message just cut straight to my heart. That's the greatest goal a teacher could ever have, right? Just to know that it was the Holy Spirit using them, right? To be used by God. People would see you and just say, that wasn't from you. I know you, right? That's what happened with Peter and John, right? They saw them. They're like, these are just common men. But the powerful, powerful boldness they went out and preached. That's what's taking places in these verses. And the Holy Spirit is using these disciples, they were teaching in ways that was beyond the disciples' abilities. And the proof of this also was in the miracle that was performed right before all these leaders in people's eyes. I have a strange question for you all. Now, I don't know if you've ever done this. And I'm, I'm talking not like really you would do this. But think of it this way. Would you imagine every, yourself standing in front of a mirror, looking at yourself in the mirror, looking back at that person that's looking at you, right? And go, wow, you're really just not that smart. You're really not. No, some of you may be going, no, I see a really smart person. Some of you saying, wow, no, I see this person. But then you just think and you just praise God, right? You look at that person in the mirror and you just know he's using you. He's doing amazing things. And you're just like, Lord, you are using that person that I know isn't that smart to do just amazing things that I know that are impossible with my abilities that I have you ever look in the mirror and just go, God, that's amen, right? Amen that I'm not that smart. I'm not that talented, but God, you're using me in just in miraculous ways that I know it's you. I don't know. I do that. I, I just see, I know myself and I see what God's doing among us and doing it in so many different ways. And I know it's God. It's not me. And just praise the Lord. It's not me because it'd be a mess. Let's continue. Let's look at 16 through 18. What should we do with these men? They asked each other. We can't deny that they have performed a miraculous sign and everyone in Jerusalem knows about it. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. So they called the apostles back and commanded them, never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. Wow. Because of the testimony of this, Restored man, right? This this crippled man, right? These leaders could not deny that something absolutely miraculous had happened. They couldn't deny it. The, and that their best solution to this problem was just like, be quiet, don't say anymore, don't talk about this anymore, stop teaching in the name of Jesus. Think about this. They, I believe, they knew what the disciples said was, said was true. I really believe that they believed and knew. They saw the proof. They believed in some way they believed, but to save their own religious positions, they hoped to bury the truth by telling the disciples to stop talking about Jesus by telling Peter and John really just, just to shut up, be quiet. Stop talking about Jesus. We don't want to hear it anymore. As I said, that nothing's changed today. Has it nothing? Many religious leaders I know today, Know the truth. They know God's word. They know what it says, right? They know what it says about water baptism. They know what it says about baptism of the Holy Spirit. They know what it says about communion. They know they've read their Bibles. They're not, they've studied it more than I have. They know what it means about confession of sins. They know what it means about tithing. What the Bible says about tithing. They know what it means about church membership. They know what it means that what purgatory is or isn't. They know what works, right? Works. They know what they're worth right? They, they know the truth about who is truly qualified and not qualified to teach God's word. They truly know the difference of what is sin and isn't what is not sin. It's in God's word. It's in our Bibles, right? But their positions were more important than the truth of God's word to maintain their religious positions was more important than the following God's word. Nothing's changed from these religious leaders in Jesus's time to many of the religious leaders today, right? So what do you think the disciples are going to do? What, would you do if you were told not to proclaim the name of Jesus? What would you do if you were told not to fellowship? What would you do? I asked you that question earlier. By what means could they try to prevent you from doing these things? By what means today would governments or people that... What would they use to prevent the name of Jesus from going out? To prevent from fellowship? Think about it some more. Let's read continue. Let's look at 19 through 22. But Peter and John replied... Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. The council then threatened them further, but then finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. For everyone was praising God for this miraculous sign, the healing of a man who had been lame for more than 40 years. Is your conviction the same as these two disciples? I mean, would you say, I cannot, what's it say here? We cannot stop stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than Him? Has God done such a miraculous work in your life that you would say just as His disciples have said here? Is really God, is Jesus your Lord? Is your fear of the coronavirus bigger than the God that you serve. What is it? That's how they're going to come after the church today. Oh, you can't fellowship. You can't preach the word of God. Why? Coronavirus. After all these things that took place here, after they were threatened, they were in court, they were in jail, what happened? God was praised and he was glorified. I ask that we would have this same testimony during these times, right? The testimony that we would still share, right? We would still have fellowship. We would still go out and proclaim the name of Jesus, even during this pandemic. I know a person the other day. I said, oh, you know, I'm going to a study. They said, well, aren't you scared? Aren't you scared? This is another Christian. No, I'm not scared. God is so much bigger than a virus. I I believe he's given us wisdom to use that, right? He's given us wisdom, right? But do you trust God? Do you trust God's word? Do you trust his commandments in the Bible more than you fear coronavirus? A few points as we finish up this text, it's apparent from the text that these leaders, they knew that Peter and John had been with Jesus. The evidence was love. It should be love in our lives, right? If people say, we know that person's a Christian, how should they know that? It shouldn't be by how I reacted to that lady. It should be love, right? Another thing is, what qualified these disciples to go out and preach without fear and with such a boldness? That they faced even their own crucifixion, maybe. What equipped them? They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They knew the scriptures, and they had spent time with Jesus. The same is true for all of us today, right? We don't need a, a degree or special training. or um, We just need the Holy Spirit and go and proclaim Jesus. The silencing of Jesus' name, the silencing of the gospel is still taking place here today. Just as these religious leaders were telling these disciples, do not share the name of Jesus. It's still happening today. I've seen it time and time again. People are telling us how that we will go out and they say, we love how you go out, right? Especially here in Myanmar. We love how you go out and you educate our children, right? We love how you do that. We love how you're providing food for the people that are very poor and don't have any food. We love how you're providing clothing for these poor people who don't have any clothes. We love how you're providing clean water to drink for the people that don't have clean water to drink. We love how you're going out and providing medical care for those that can't provide medical care for themselves. Please go out. Continue to do all these things. But there's so often a stipulation, isn't there? Yeah, please educate our children. But can you just don't mention Jesus while you do it? It happens all the time. Can you? Yeah, I want all these things, but can you just not mention Jesus? I I, I go with the disciples here. Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than Him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. Without the name of Jesus, all these good works are pointless. I want to read a, it was a life application study Bible and I was reading it and they summarized this chapter and I think they just did such a good job at it. I just want to share it with you. It says, Peter and John shared the gospel and ended up in jail. That's not likely to happen in a Western believer's life today. Still, there are risks in trying to win others to Christ, being misunderstood, rejected, ridiculed, ostracized, stared at, whispered about. We might be willing to face a night in jail if it would bring 5,000 people to Christ, but shouldn't we be willing to suffer for the sake of one lost soul? What do you think in witnessing Whatever the risks, realize that nothing done for God is ever wasted. And no matter how great the risk, the reward will certainly be greater. No matter what forces or consequences will come against, we must, we must, just as the disciples go out into the world full of the Holy Spirit and share the good news of Jesus Christ. I ask you the question, what are we facing today that would prevent you from obeying God's word and going out and proclaiming Jesus' name? It's fear. It's fear. And it's wrapped up in the coronavirus in a nice, neat package. It's fear. We need to have more fear for God than the things of this world. I challenge you. I'm not saying to go out and do something dumb. Use God give you wisdom. God's made you intelligent. Right? But you cannot use this pandemic is an excuse not to be in God's word, not to be in fellowship, and not going out and sharing the gospel. We can do this. We have many different means. He's given us so much wisdom. We have all sorts of even uh, online opportunities, right? I'm not even saying you have to do it all in person. It's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is it's not an excuse not to be in fellowship with others and still sharing the gospel. This lady called me, a Jehovah Witness called me on the phone, cold called me on the phone, proclaiming a cult here in Myanmar. She called a pastor. As she said, it was most unpleasant. But what are we doing? I know people that haven't left their houses for six months or people that don't go to online services because they're tired of online services. I'm tired of it, too. We should never forsake fellowship. We should never forsake sharing the name of Jesus and sharing the sharing the gospel. We don't need to be fearful. we We need to be like these disciples, full of the Holy Spirit. As he says, we must, we cannot stop telling about everything we have heard and seen, about how lives have been restored. How people that were once hopeless were now full of hope. How people that did not understand joy now have overflowing joy. We need to be out there sharing. We have lots of tools to do that. Lots of opportunities. Let's make sure and look and pray that the Holy Spirit would reveal how you can do that. How you can be in fellowship. How he would have you share with others. Maybe it's your neighbors. Maybe it's your taxi driver. I don't know. But I think there's still many, many opportunities out there today to continue obeying god's word obeying the great commandment and fellowshipping with jesus and others we don't have to be in fear again we don't have to have fear we serve a god so much bigger so so much bigger than that please join me in prayer heavenly father i just thank you so much for this opportunity just to read your word and study your word lord i pray that the message that was spoken here was from you of you lord is spoken by you that it would be interpreted correctly Lord, we need to be bold like these disciples, Lord, standing for our faith. Lord, that we need to go and share the good news with others as we're commanded to do by you. And, Lord, that there's no excuse, Lord. We're going to face, our world's going to get so much more worse. It's so, so many more things are going to happen than this virus. Lord, there's going to be difficult times in front of us. But, Lord, you've given us what we need. You've given us the helper, your advocate or the Holy Spirit. We're not alone. We're not powerless. In fact, we have this resurrection power living within us, Lord, to go out. So, Lord, I just pray, Lord, you would speak to people. They would join in with your calling to go out and share the gospel. Use this opportunity when people ask, Don't you, aren't you afraid? No, I'm not afraid. I serve a mighty God, a God bigger than all these things, the God that spoke everything I know to, into existence. Why would I be afraid? A God that loves me so much that would give his only one and begotten son. A God that resurrected him and allows us to join in that resurrection and to go to heaven, and to have eternal life. The one that paid the price for my sins. Why would I be as scared? So Lord, I praise you and I thank you for this time and this message. Lord, may we go out with the boldness that Peter and John had, but we go out properly. As I messed up this week, Lord, and I repent of that, Lord, please just give me an opportunity just to still speak to this woman. But I'd go out full of your spirit, full of joy, full of love, and full of truth. In Jesus' name, amen.